Okay, so if you've been uh, in class the last few weeks, you know we're studying the Colossian letter, the letter to the Colossians that Paul wrote. And you know that we uh, were talking about a few weeks ago, uh, you know, that was probably written around 60 AD, and probably Paul did not know these folks. That this, this, uh, this congregation had been established or planted by probably Epaphras or some other brethren, not him. Uh, he had been near there in his travels, but did not necessarily uh, establish that congregation. We know that from the letters. He talks about how he had heard about them, how he heard about their love and their steadfastness in the faith and so forth. So probably did not necessarily know these people, but, you know, as brethren, we, we know about each other, right? We know we have a common goal. We, have a, we serve a common God, we, the only God, and we have a common faith, right? And so we have brethren all over the world, right? But we know about them because we know what they're about. We know who they serve. And we're striving in that same, that same walk, right? That same, uh, you know, try, trying to live according to God's will. So uh, they, are, they are part of the, the kingdom, and Paul is writing them a letter, and uh, we're studying that. Last week, we looked at how he described the preeminent Christ, and he kind of does this in a couple of his letters, and how Christ is preeminent over everything. He is, he is the king, Right? We've stated where he, we know he is the king. He's in his kingdom. He is serving. I mean, he is reigning in his kingdom. And we serve him as the king, kingdom of heaven. And he is also the one that came and reconciled us to God. Shed his blood that we might have that hope of eternal life. Shed his blood that we might be saved. And last week, really the last point we made was that Paul was saying he has reconciled us to God. He's the reconciler of all things, right? And mentions that and, and explaining that again to the brethren there in Colossae. As a case in point, Paul reminds the Colossians that they too have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So let's go read what he says there. Turn, open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses there just to see what he says. And I'm going to start back in verse 19. This is, we read this last week, but just to give a little context there. He says, For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death, to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. All right, so what's Paul, talking, what's Paul saying here? What's, what's he saying to the brethren at Colossae? Well, first and foremost, he says, before their conversion... They were alienated. They were enemies. What, what does he mean by that exactly? What, what, what are we talking about when he's using those words? They're pretty strong words, right? Right? The, the Greek word for alienated is a, is a polytrio, which means to estrange or shut out a fellowship, right? Think about that for a minute, right? Think about that. When we're here together, we, we are in fellowship with one another, right? Just like I talked about, we are in fellowship with all those brethren in the universal church who believe 
who follow the word, who have obeyed that word and have been steadfast in the faith and have that hope of eternal life with the Lord, right? So we are in fellowship with one another. What about your families? Are you in fellowship with your families? Think about that. Think about the way you were raised and your, your parents raising you up and how, about the values that they instilled in you, right? And the things they taught you growing up. And as you got older, you began to kind of say, make, either make those your own or maybe you rebelled against it a little bit, right? And said, I don't know if that's necessarily right. Maybe you had to sow some wild oats there for a little while and say, I'm doing my own thing here. I don't know if that's true. I'm going to test this out. But most likely, if you live long enough, if you live through all that, you probably came back to what your parents were teaching you, didn't you? In fact, that's scriptural, right? Brings up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. Doesn't mean they're not going to sway or get off the path, right? But eventually, I believe, if someone's taught the way of the Lord, they're going to come back to it unless they just completely sear their conscience to the point of no return. <clears throat> Think about that a minute. You're in fellowship with your family. Now, you get older, you get out on your own. Do you, is it easy for you to just depart from that? Do you have members of your family that you don't see anymore? Probably some of you do, but most likely no. Most likely you have family that you still get together with, you still do things with, you have common interests, common fellowship, right? In other words, most likely they're not alienated from you, right? And then he also talks about being enemies of God. The Greek word is ekthros or ekthros, ekthros. He's saying these, before they were converted, were enemies of God. They were not in fellowship with him. They were alienated. And think about how that might be if you were in a family. Can you imagine being alienated from your family? Can you imagine being an enemy of your family? I know that's a case. I know that happens in the world. I, I know there are family members that completely disown the rest of their family. I know that happens. But what does that do to each person in that family? That's tough, isn't it? That's a tough thing to deal with. And you can imagine parents that have had to deal with it, and there may be some of you that had to deal with that. I can't imagine anything worse if my children decided, I'm never going to see you again. I never want to speak to you again. Our daughter met her husband here in this congregation. And then they decided to go to the other side of the world. That happens. I remember Jolene, he got out of college, I remember Jolene said, I never thought I'd be praying that he wouldn't get a job. But we still get to see him. We still talk to him. She talks to her every day, you know, because we got cell phones now. We can do that. You know, she can see her face on FaceTime or whatever. That's a, great, that's a wonderful thing, right? But I cannot imagine not being able to see my children anymore because they have alienated themselves from us. Can't imagine that. That's what he's describing here, being completely alienated from God. God who? The Father. Jesus refers to him as our Father constantly. His Father, your Father. It's a familial relationship. And when we become Christians, we are now in that family 
in fellowship with God. We're no longer alienated, and we're no longer enemies of God. Think about that word. He says you are enemies of God. What do you think of when you think of enemies? Well, on the national scale, I guess you say, you know, China or Russia. I mean, you hear that in the news constantly, right? But you have enemies just by someone who doesn't like you, I guess, right? And I, I don't like to call them enemies. That's, that's a harsh word, right? That's a tough word. But and you know, we want people to like us, right? We want people to think we're cool, hang out. But probably you got somebody that's maybe you don't even realize you made them mad sometimes. And they don't particularly care for you anymore. Is that true? No, that, not anybody in here, right? Yeah, just a difference in personality can make that happen. But he says he's enemies of God. They were enemies of God. What a strong word. He says, oh, a definition of that word would be hostile, hating, opposing another, and used of men to say, because of their sin, we are at enmity with God. I don't, I don't want to be at enmity with God. I mean, he created the universe. He holds my salvation in his hand, right? I don't want to be an enemy of God, but that's what Paul says here. You're enemies in your mind by wicked works. But then he says something interesting. Now they are reconciled. Wait a minute. What does he mean? How so? What is he talking about here? Two things are mentioned in this context, right? In verse 20 he says, by the blood of of the cross. You have been reconciled to God. You're no longer alienated. You're no longer enemy, an enemy to God, right? You've been reconciled to him. Turn over to 2 John. And we're, you might put a marker in 1st and 2nd John. We'll be reading a few scriptures from there. But I want to just turn over to 2nd John and let's look at uh, a verse from that uh, letter. 1st John, I mean 2nd John, and uh, let's begin in verse 5. 2 John, verse 5. Beloved, you do... I'm in 3 John. Hold on a second. Okay, we went too far. Uh, let's begin at verse 4. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth, and as we received commandment from the Father. Now I plead with you, lady, not as, I, as though I write a, wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we, might, we may receive a full reward. In, in John and Paul's time here, there were those who were preaching Jesus didn't actually come in the flesh. They weren't necessarily saying he, Jesus didn't exist or, or, or he wasn't a spirit or he wasn't God, but he didn't come in the flesh. And as we read there in the letter of John, 2 John, that he had to rebuke that. He had to say, those are deceivers are out there doing this. Paul says, by reason of the blood of the cross, and in verses 21 and 22, he reconciled us in the body of his flesh through death. Paul's saying, he was a man, he was here in the flesh, he shed, his blood was shed and he died so that you could be reconciled to God. The offering of Jesus' body and blood 
they were now reconciled to God, and they are now presented to God as holy, meaning sanctified. We've talked about that. It's a long word to mean you're set apart. Once you become Christian, you are washed of your sins. You are holy. You are now sanctified, set apart to do the work of God, do the work of the kingdom of heaven. You're blameless without being guilty. You're no longer guilty of sin. You're beyond reproach, irreproachable, guilty of nothing that can be called into account. How many times have you heard a sermon that when your sins are forgiven, God forgets them, they're gone? How many times have you heard that? It's very true, right? We can't do that. We remember things, right? We can't just shut them out of our mind very easily. I guess you could. I guess, you know, you go get drunk. That'll shut it out of your mind. But, I mean, you can't do that physically. God can do that. God says, slate's clean. Your sins have been forgiven. This is a wonderful condition, right? This is the kind of condition that we want to be in. We want to be reconciled to God. We want to be in fellowship with God. No longer in reproach, above reproach, holy and blameless. This reconciliation of God uh, does kind of contend on a condition, though, doesn't it? Notice what Paul says here. He says, it continues, the reconciliation of God continues, this is often continues, continues, if, and that's a big word, he says, if they continue in faith, if they remain grounded and steadfast, and if they are not moved away from the hope of the gospel. Okay? In other words, he's saying, before you were converted, you were alienated and enemies. You were not in fellowship with God. Now that you are Christian, now that you have obeyed that form of Brockton that we obeyed, the gospel, you are now in fellowship. But you need to continue in that faith. You need to continue in that steadfastness, continue to be in fellowship with God, grounded and steadfast, not moved away from that hope of the gospel. They were grave sinners, enemies and alienated from God, yet they had been reconciled through Jesus' death on the cross, such as they were now blameless and irreproachable in their sight. So I just mentioned, this is conditional though, right? First and foremost, we've got to obey the gospel, right? We have to hear it, right? Believe it, have a faith, repent of our sin, confess him, be willing to tell the world about him, and to be baptized into him, right? All those things. I'm sure most, if not all of you in here have done that, right? But there's also that condition of continuing in the faith. And that's, that's kind of a big thing. You know, you hear out in, in Christendom that, you know, once you're saved, you're always saved, right? Well, that's an interesting passage here we have, if, if that's the case, right? It's something that you have to continually walk in. You have to continually be part of. You have to continually... work to make your faith grow. Now, don't think I'm telling you you can do anything to save yourself. You can't. Let's look at some things about that. This condition prior to reconciliation was not unique. They had been wicked sinners and they had been enemies and alienated of God, but turn over to Ephesians and let's look at a verse from there. Ephesians 2 beginning in verse 1. Ephesians 2 1, he says, And you made alive, and you were made, and you he made alive 
who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who's he referring to there? Well, the, the brethren at, at Ephesus, but you can say that's everybody, right? And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience among whom also we will once, also we all once conducted our, wait a minute, what do you say? We all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He's saying you were all wicked in body and in mind, in the things that you thought and the things that you did. You all were wicked. You all were enemies of God. Anyone who thinks otherwise is ignorant. Wait a minute. A lot of people in the world don't think they're sinners, right? Well, Paul would say they're ignorant. They don't understand or they don't want to understand or they're just plain dumb. One or the other. They have all alienated themselves from God. We've all sinned. We all know about the terribleness of sin, the awesome, um, the awesome uh, justice that's required of God's character. We know God is just. He will punish sin. Simple as that. The wages of sin are death. I don't care what the world says to you. Well, you know, we got to show love to each other, you know. Okay, so they made a few mistakes. We, we, we got to love them. We love them by showing them they're going to go to hell if they don't change, right? That's not what the world wants to say. That's not what the world wants to hear. To better understand the, uh, the importance of this, the, the extreme importance of turning from sin and being holy in God's sight. Let's turn over to James and read a passage from there. James chapter 2. And let's just start with, uh, let's start with verse 5. James 2, 5. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppress you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you were called? In other words, he's talking about the world. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You do well, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Wait a minute. He says, but if you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Verse 10, for whoso, whoever shall keep the whole law, and that's a lot, right? In fact, it's so much of a lot that nobody can keep it, right? That's why Christ had to come. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he's guilty of all. You know, we tend to think about sin or, or things we do wrong on different scales, don't we? Well, I just tell a little white lie. I mean, I didn't kill anybody. I, I just, I took a, you know, I took a loaf of bread from the grocery store. I walked out with it. You know, nobody's going to miss that. It wasn't a big deal. 
You know, I needed some bread. We don't think, that's, that's, that's not like murder or rape, you know. Those are the big ones, right? James says it don't take but one little bitty sin and you're guilty of it all. You transgressed it all. Think about that. Jesus had to come and shed his blood even for a person that had one little bitty white lie because that alienates you and it makes you an enemy of God. One sin. One little sin. And so when you think about it, there is no little sin, right? Sin is sin. And sin alienates you. It makes you an enemy of God. And you have to be reconciled to him. Not by anything you can do. By the shedding of Christ's blood. It's pretty important, isn't it? Paul's telling them, remember, you were alienated in enemies. And because of that, Christ came and shed his blood on you need to remain steadfast in faith as you're doing. He's already commended them for that. He's already commended them for their love for each other that he's heard about through Epaphras. He's saying, but you got to continue. Be steadfast. Continue in that faith. One sin. And of course, we know we can't live a day, really, without sin. I, Jim said he did it a couple weeks ago. I think, I think he's going to sleep. <laughs> Sorry, Jim. But we can't do it, right? It's not possible. We sin. We can't be perfect. We're in the flesh. Think about that for a minute when Jesus was on the cross. Remember? I'm not going to read the account of the cross. We know it, basically, right? You remember what he said? Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever studied what that's all about, really? Paul said, before you were saved, you were alienated and you were enemies of God. Jesus bore all sin when he's on that cross. <clears throat> From the little white line. to someone who's killed someone, whatever that sin is. Jesus was bearing it. And because of that, at that moment, God and Jesus were out of fellowship, basically. He's saying, why have you forsaken me? You can think of it like your parents being so disgusted with what you did, they couldn't, they couldn't even look at you. You ever been in that situation? As a child or a parent? doesn't mean God didn't love him anymore. It doesn't mean they're not going to be in fellowship. But at that moment, Jesus is saying, why have you forsaken me? It's because of that sin that he was bearing. God could not look upon it. It alienated him from him. I don't, I hate to use the word enemy, but it kind of goes along with it, right? Because of that sin. When his blood was shed, all that sin was paid for. All that sin was forgiven. Right? Not that Jesus committed it, but he bore the punishment for it. Amazing thing, isn't it? Our reconciliation as God is made possible only through Jesus' death on the cross. 
only his death of the body that he was in, in the flesh, truthfully in, on that cross. Think about that for a minute. Because of that, we can have reconciliation. It's not about what we did. It's not about what we can do, although we are sanctified, we are set apart for good works, and we have, that's part of remaining in that steadfast faith, continue to do good works. But turn over to Acts first, chapter 10, let's just look at that for a minute, about being good. And I've talked about this before, you know, John 14, the only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. I'm the way and the truth and the life, right? John, let's turn over to Acts 10. And uh, I want to read something about Cornelius, who we've talked about pretty recently in some of our studies. Let's see what it says about him. It says in verse 1, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. Okay, here we have Cornelius. Apparently, Cornelius is a really good man, a devout man, who was giving alms and praying constantly. And you think about that, that's probably a lot more than some of us do, right? Turn over to chapter 11. Let's see what Luke wrote about him, about what Peter said about him. Beginning in verse 4, 11-4. Now, Peter explained it to them, an order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa, praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and, in, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals over the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Now he's describing the vision he had. You know, Peter needed to be told again, the gospel's not just for the Jews. It's for all, Gentiles included. But let's read on and see what he says about Cornelius. Verse 12, Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he, talking about Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Notice this verse. Who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. Wait a minute. I just said, we just read where Cornelius was a devout man, a very good man. He was giving alms. He was praying <clears throat> constantly. He wasn't saved, right? He had to be told by Peter how to be saved. Just because he was a good man didn't mean he was saved. He was still alienated and still an enemy of God just like those at Colossae had been before they were converted. Imagine that. The world won't say, well, as long as you're a good person, you're going to go to heaven, you know. Don't hurt anybody. Live a good life. Take care of your family. 
Don't drive over the speed limit. Just say it. It's not going to work. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. The only way is to believe on him and him crucified. That's it. So we see, even though Cornelius, such a good man, was not saved until he was told how to be saved, and he and his household obeyed that great commandment, that gospel, that good news, right? Though good works are essential as disciples of Christ, we are justified, declared not guilty by the blood of Jesus. Simple as that. Turn over to uh, 1 John again. And let's read a verse again from 1 John. Beginning at verse 5. He says, This is the message which we have heard from him and clear to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, there's that word, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We're walking in the light, steadfast in the faith, continuing to grow spiritually, doing good works that we've been set apart to do. We're constantly cleansed of our sin. Well, this leads to a question, right? How does one, how does one benefit from this blood? How, how does this happen? We know that from Acts 2.38, right? Repent ye and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost for the remission of your sins. Right? Romans 6. We've read this many times, but let's go back and read it again. Doesn't hurt to be reminded. Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, and that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified to him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. Through baptism we are buried with him, buried with, into Christ, into his death, raised to newness. So we're united with him. Turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Verse 26, Galatians 3, verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Some of your translations might say, I've clothed, been clothed in Christ. We're united with him. We're clothed in him through baptism. This brings us redemption through his blood 
And because of that, we're no longer alienated or enemies of God. Enemies of God. We have access to that blood through that repentance and faith and through prayer. And we get to enjoy all the blessings that come with that. Have you been blessed spiritually? Think about that for a minute. Do you ever, do you ever think about that, really? Have, have you been blessed spiritually? Well, first and foremost, you've been saved, right? That's quite a load off, isn't it? But as you've walked through your life being steadfast in the faith, have you been blessed? I hope so. I mean, if you think about that, you have that inner peace, if nothing else, right? That joy that you should have of knowing that you are part of the kingdom. You have that goal of heaven. You have that eternal hope, right? That should be plenty of blessing right there. But what about being in amongst brethren? We talked about that fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. Somebody's sick. Are you blessed when... You have people here that are willing to just take time out of their day to make a meal for you? Are you blessed when you're in the hospital, sick, and several folks from here in this congregation who you really wouldn't have any other thing in common with except that your brothers or sisters, they come to see you? Are you blessed by that? I've said this before, but I can remember when, when Jolene was prepping for surgery in the, in the hospital early in the morning like we had to be there at, I don't know 5 a.m. or something and there's other people around we're in this open room and I got elders sitting there praying with us I didn't see anybody else in there having that man what I feel was I feeling blessed right and not that there are any great thing but I had people praying for us devout people people who had been saved who are in relationship with the father and fellowship with him that are not alienated or enemies of God are praying for us. That's a blessing right there, right? Yes, of course you've got blessings. You may not even realize how many blessings, the ways you've been blessed in your life as being part of the kingdom. <clears throat> a reconciliation is conditional. If indeed continue, Paul says that. Once acquired, we can still be lost. You can go to Hebrews 3. He talks about being careful lest you fall. Don't have time to go through and read all that. But it can happen. Paul emphasizes that we must continue in our faith, which involves being grounded and steadfast, not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which can occur through, well, one thing is false doctrine. Another is the temptation to sin and trials and hardships in life. Right? All those things can take us away from that. Paul's saying, remain steadfast. These things are still there. The devil is still working hard to lead you astray. Remain steadfast in the faith. Do not be swayed. The same warning message is relevant for us today. Right? We've been reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, and we need to remain steadfast in the faith. Not because of anything we've done. It doesn't, it's not us, it's him. Continuing to grow, continuing to put our trust and our faith in him constantly. And by the way, if you haven't done that, today's as good as day as any. That's mainly why we're here. 
to worship God and, and uh, show our love to each other, right? And if you're not part of that kingdom, if you're not enjoying that blessing of fellowship, then today's the perfect day to get in there. And we'll be here to encourage you, to help you in any way we can. And that, that's that other blessing. Okay. Time is up. Thanks for